Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt in Atlanta. Today, it's still a Friday. It's the last hour of the radio week. That means it's time, as the music suggests, for the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. All of these dialogues, getting close to 500 and now, are found at uh, hugh4hillsdale.com, or if you simply put Hillsdale Dialogues in and add iTunes, to the Google search or whatever other search engine you use, you will find them all over at iTunes, arranged in order. Hillsdale Dialogue, iTunes, listen to them all. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Larry Arm, but not with me. We continue with part six of his seminar with 10 Hillsdale students about Aristotle's ethics. Lots of you have written to me, you love this. Of course you do. It's a, a very wonderful selection of students. It's a great teacher, Dr. Arn, doing a great book, Aristotle's Ethics. And if you've missed the first five segments last week, I was talking about Dr. Arn about current events. We're going to continue for the next five weeks to finish off. But if you want to go and binge watch them, just go to hillsdale.edu and look for online courses and type in the ethics. You cannot miss it. You will not want to miss it. You'll want to read it or actually watch it from the start to finish. So don't go anywhere. This is part one of the sixth segment of the Hillsdale Dialogues, The Ethics. Dr. Arn and his students, take it away, Larry. Courage is uh, vivid. Nobody wants to die. And if to die, nobody wants to die painfully. So to face that, that's a test, a big test. And Aristotle says that to develop this virtue, which is one of the cardinal virtues, the right disposition toward pain is courage. In the pure case, the most courageous action. It matters uh, why it was done. What was the motive? Uh, if the motive was, I'm confused, I don't know where to go, I do something that seems brave, but I didn't really understand it. That's not bravery. Bravery is, you picture in your mind's eye, as if you were looking at it from outside, what would this look like? Is it beautiful? Which thing would I do right now here that would be a beautiful thing to do? Now, for it to be beautiful, it has to be effective. It has to be a good, uh, skilled thing. That means that there's judgment, intellectual virtue tied up. But the moral intention focuses on what do you want when you do it? Do you want it to be a beautiful thing? Now. We're going to talk about courage. What kind of virtue is courage? Moral. Doing, right? Moral doing virtue. And uh, courage is a great place to start because it's uh, vivid. Everybody knows you don't want to get killed. You know, if you can get your druthers, you're not going to be tortured. And so the occasions where that's at risk are real tests, real human tests. Uh, you know, Jesus says, a greater love hath no man than to give up his life for his friend, right? What makes a courageous act? Right disposition towards fear and confidence, and you have to do it for the sake of the beautiful. 
So explain about right disposition, <clears throat> fear and confidence. Why, why are fear and con uh, confidence opposites? We talked about how um, in the virtues there's always an excess and a deficiency. Um, so courage is the mean condition between the excess of um, too much confidence, which we call rashness, and then the deficiency of too much fear, which we call cowardice. So courage is about finding the, the mean condition between a healthy awareness of your fear and your confidence that allows you to stay and fight the battle without throwing away your life unnecessarily as the rash person does. So all these virtues, uh, moral virtues, all the doing virtues have uh, uh, a mean between two extremes. And uh, I think Kate asked a good question that we talked about a long time yesterday about how do you calculate where the middle is? And the answer is, you, first you identify what the extremes are. And uh, so rashness means what? Uh, rashness means an excess of confidence where you aren't afraid of anything and you'll just throw yourself into the battle, whatever happens. And uh, the opposite is cowardice. And we know what that means, right? And so you're going to be in between there. Would a fully virtuous person be making that calculation in those terms at the time? What would they be thinking about? The end. The goal. And a way to serve it that would be what? Would it be fitting or proportionate um, to the circumstance? And beyond that, do you ever read the citations for people who won the Congressional Medal of Honor? There's a very good book about the first helicopter battle in Vietnam. And Vietnam is a troubled memory for America, and that's a shame because there was tremendous courage in Vietnam. And uh, uh, Mel Gibson made a movie about the, about the thing. The guy who wrote the book was at this first and, you know, what was a helicopter battle? The idea grew up, we were going to try it, that you could uh, take a force and put them in a place and let them go to fighting and resupply them by helicopters. And helicopters are kind of vulnerable, you know. And they decided to try it. And the first time they tried it, it turned out that they didn't know it. The intelligence was wrong. They landed very near a large... North Vietnamese force, huge. They were three days, I think it was, on the ground, and if you, if you raised your head up two feet, you were likely to be shot. And the casualty rates were high. And one of the people who won the Congressional Medal of Honor there was a helicopter pilot, because he's the one who kept going back. And he, he just wouldn't stop. And, and he saved many people. He survived the battle. And the thing was, others, you know, they were all willing, and there were a lot of heroes among the helicopter pilots, but this guy, he would go in even when everything looked wrong. And, you know, he was going in to bring them munitions and food and to take out wounded. And, uh, that, you know, so the point was, there's something superior about that kind of courage, even in a world where many people are being courageous. And that's what we mean by beautiful. So it wouldn't be beautiful to do that in an impractical way. Every time he took his helicopter up, it got shot down because they need the helicopter, right? They need him to keep doing it. 
So it has to serve the end, but in the, in the end, uh, beautiful actions are performed by people who found a way to do it in a superior way. How does Aristotle say we recognize those actions? Sense perception. You see. Right. In the movie, you see it, but I just described it. It means you saw it in your mind's eye. George Washington at the Battle of Princeton is a really great story uh, because he had won in Trenton. He, you know, the Christmas morning, they went across the Delaware because they'd just been getting hammered for months. And they needed to win something in the first year of the war. And he surprised the Hessians and he killed a bunch of them and he took Trenton. But Cornwallis is coming down with a bigger force at Princeton down in New Jersey. And uh, Washington sees that uh, I can't really be driven out of here in a single day. That'll deprive us of the prestige of the victory. So he had to go up there and fight. And when he got up there, the American troops were running. And uh, he walked his horse through them and didn't look left or right. And he just kept walking toward the British. And his adjutant records that Washington couldn't have known if anybody had come with him. And as he gets close, he gives the orders to fire, you know, and, and there's a volley, and Washington is shrouded in smoke. And Fitzwilliam put his cap down over his face. He couldn't stand to see the fallen Washington. But then he picked it up, and the smoke was cleared, and Washington was still walking toward the British on his horse. And the, and the Americans had formed up behind him, and they ran the British away. And that's one reason why George Washington is the father of our country. People saw that, and they thought, I can trust this man. And that's not the only thing he did like that. That's the conclusion of part one of the Hillsdale Dialogue, the ethics seminar. The video seminar can be binge-watched over at hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is rolling along. Aristotle. Aristotle's on the menu, and it's great. Now, they taped this two years ago, four-camera shoot, beautifully produced. You can always go to hillsdale.edu. Get your application for next year, and now is the time to apply. But do give a listen to the next segment. The point is, that is the human being in action. Body and soul. And it's fully realized in that moment. And that is the epitome of moral action, which involves thinking and decisions, too. And, and where's the heart of it? Uh, where's the thing that makes it a true virtue to Washington? Is it that he didn't get shot? Is it that they won the battle? Is it what? It's in what he wanted. What was he seeking? And the answer is, he wanted to do that because that was beautiful. It, it had to be beautiful in service of something worthy, right? It had to have a setting because it, otherwise it would be vain. And that's a key about ethics. If the point about ethics is it's just being good in the various ways human beings are called to act and think, then the motive is all important. What do you want? 
And what you want, by the way, is supremely to do with practice, especially through the doing virtues, but not only. George Washington, I will say, you know, he, he wrote out these uh, rules of civil behavior. George Washington was uh, a meticulous man, and he was a man of uh, incredible force and dynamism. And the people who knew him best, because, you know, he was stoic, so he didn't show much. And the people who knew him best thought that he'd learn to control that because he might explode and kill a lot of people. And uh, so when he was a little boy, he was practicing all the time. And the rules of civil behavior include don't bite your nails, don't spit when you talk. The last one is uh, labor to keep alive in your breast the celestial fire, known as honor. I think he says, I can't remember saying, memory's failing me. But that means that he intended to develop the ability to do that. And the way he developed it was by making good choices when there's reason not to make them. Dr. Arn, I think one thing maybe worth mentioning is that uh, reading this book at least gives an ordinary person like me hope because Aristotle saying that part of what enters into making these decisions is our own limitations and our, our talents as well. And so for any of us to be virtuous in a situation of imminent danger, we don't have to act necessarily how a special armed force member would act. Um, he's saying this is something that we can all participate in, which at least I find to be encouraging. That's good. We should explore that. Uh, I have to make the comment because why not? Um, there's a lot of good uh, movies that have violence in them because war is a human phenomenon. And uh, it's not uncommon in very good movies of that kind that there's someone who, who's heroic and he recruits people who are not and they become heroic. Shane, for example, great little novel, right? And the farmer is brave. And, and he, the only way that Shane can restrain the farmer from going up against hopeless odds is by knocking him out cold. You see, a vindication of regular people, what you just said, understanding that there's a difference between that and somebody heroic. Everybody can be heroic. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back with part three of segment six of the Hillsdale Dialogues, the ethics taught by Larry Arn to 10 Hillsdale students. Welcome back, America. I think that's my favorite bump for the Hillsdale Dialogue. I'm in Atlanta. It's Hugh Hewitt. But all things Hillsdale, the Hillsdale Dialogue is underway over at Hillsdale.edu. All of the Hillsdale Dialogue for the past many, many years. Hugh for Hillsdale.com or simply use the iTunes binge listen uh, feature by typing in Hillsdale Dialogue in iTunes. But if you need an application, you want to get in Primus, you want to contribute to the college, whatever it is you want to do with Hillsdale, you do it at Hillsdale.edu. You can also find there many, many online courses like the one we have uh, played for you this summer. 
Dr. Larry Arn teaching the ethics to 10 Hillsdale students. It's really marvelous teaching. It's an education in how to teach. It's an education in the ethics. It's also an education in how to be a student. Listen to the questions they ask. Listen to the interactions that they have. And if you've never dived into the ethics because you're afraid of it, and a lot of people are, this is the perfect uh, dive into the pool, into the deep end, but with an instructor, Dr. Arn, second to none. So this is part three of the sixth episode of Dr. Larry Arn teaching Hillsdale students. Here we are, part three of segment six. What information do you have to guide you when you're making these choices amidst shifting circumstances where there's pleasure and pain and ambition and other stuff, stuff, such stuff at stake. What do, you, what do you know that could be a guide to you if you will listen to it? What does the first sentence say? Every choice and every inquiry, every art and every action seems to aim at some good. You have a sense of the good. Everybody does. And that's partly just because you can see what things are what kind of thing they are. It just obviously sets up the point, two points. One is, you want it to be good at that. This cup, by the way, is better than the paper cups, but it's not as good as the one I had here yesterday. I forgot that one. You know, you, if you're gonna use the cup, get a good one. All the time you think that, right? The second thing you can see, by the way, is that if you see what kinds of things things are, then you come to understand kinds of things, they deserve certain kinds of treatment and different for different kinds. Stephen Douglas says, uh, you know, his view was, if you own a slave from a slave state, you can take it anywhere you want to, except into a free state. And if you take it into the part not incorporated to states yet, the territories, the federal government has to protect your property and your hog and your buckboard. Therefore, it's going to have to protect your property and your slave. And uh, Lincoln admits that the federal government has to protect the property and the hog and the buckboard, but he says uh, the slave is different. And it's not even controversial that the slave is different. In the slave states, they pass laws trying slaves for murder if they kill somebody. And you know, although they weren't always well enforced, they could uh, try a master for murder if he killed a slave. They had laws against teaching slaves to read, and they didn't have laws like that for pigs, and they didn't try pigs for murder. Once you know what kinds of things things are, it sets up an understanding of justice and right. And that's the magic that happens because human beings have this rational gift, right? If it's true, because there's a really interesting thing, and it's in book one, Aristotle says that uh, you have an opportunity to grow up to be good regardless of the conditions in which you grow up. Because being human and developing this gift, you are aware of the good and you can't escape it. And Aristotle, now to go back to where we left because we have to explore this more, this point about Aristotle saying, because you know the good, the choices you make are always informed. And the first time he says it, and I think it's about page 22, he says it doesn't matter about the circumstances. Then a few pages later on 29, I think, he admits that if somebody lives, uh, grows up in a very distorted background, that they could be deprived of the opportunity to develop the virtues. But that's rare, because you do know. That's why I, I mentioned that thing about death row in Texas in that TV series about them. 
And the point is, they were all talking about justice. They learned about that somewhere. The point is, they were human. They knew it. Yo. In our conversations here about courage, whether that's someone on the battlefield or us in our everyday lives, what would Aristotle say about someone who has good motives and intentions but makes the wrong decision, thinking that it's the right one? Well, that's a, and see, that's very good. So like in courage, the human being in operation, whether studying in Aristotle or fighting in the Second World War, is always doing and thinking. Thinking has much greater share in, uh, especially at the highest level, it's almost purely thinking. Still takes energy. A good action is always a combination of two things. The right thought and the right desire. Good actions are made up as much of desire, of what you want. And this, this business of choosing, that's how you form. Aristotle says in book one, because, you know, this book is written, as I said before, so that it's written for the people who've read that much. And that means it changes while it goes. And so early on, he says, you can't control your feelings. And not long after that, he says, you can. Why? Because if you choose the good over and over, your feelings will be shaped. Now, what you're asking about is something we're going to talk about next time, I think, or time after. Uh, you're talking about practical wisdom. That means being a good estimator of circumstances which shift all the time and change what's right, but also keeping in mind ultimate standards of right that have to be pursued. And, uh, yeah, Julia. Uh, so if our actions are primarily defined as good based upon the thought and the desire that goes into them, then to Ryan's question, how do we actually know, like, when someone's made, like, the wrong choice or the wrong decision? Is that based on, like, whether with courage, if they were to die when trying to do something courageous, or if they still died but it had the right thought and desire behind it, would that still be good in some sense? Uh, if it has the right desire behind it, it's good in, the, in that sense. The moral virtues have everything to do with what you want. Now, a beautiful act would require to be an intellectually skillful act. You need to be good at it, right? Because it can be ridiculous. Uh, there's this, uh, I kind of like the movie Dances with Wolves, but I don't like the opening of it at all because it's a very poor portrayal of what the Civil War is like. Uh, Civil War was very fierce on both sides, very noble in most places, and very squalid, of course, as war always is. But uh, in there, there's this, uh, everybody's kind of desultory, and everybody, nobody really wants to fight, and Kevin Costner charges the other side all by himself and uh, actually somehow stops the battle. And, uh, and the point is, that's just impractical, right? And so you might think it was brave, but it would also be in the back of your mind that it was kind of stupid. <laughs> And stupid is not beautiful. So that's why the doing virtues has to be coupled with thinking. And the thinking is complicated, right? Because uh, 
ethics reduces to the simple rule, be good. But that's not enough because what about in these circumstances? What do you do? Yeah. So we said that moral virtues have to be based on what you want. What if you don't know what you want? Then does that just come down to developing the intellectual virtues? Or how do you become a good estimator of figuring out what you ultimately want in any given circumstance? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the short answer is practice. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the idea is, you know, be good. Like, here, here's the entire summary of the Nicomachean Ethics. Be good and practice. <laughs> <laughs> the claim is, you start with the basic information, which is written in your essential capacity of rationality. And so you know the good is talking to you. And you have to practice. And, you know, it's an enormous advantage. I, I want to make this point that Aristotle says that in one place, everybody, and nearly, in another place, nearly everybody has a chance to be a good human being, regardless of circumstances. I think, by the way, that's a uh, very important thing to understand because we're so busy excusing things today. Conditions make everything happen. And the next thing you know, we're trying to organize the whole society to control all the conditions which, of course, takes away from people the chance to develop their souls. You need to live your own life, right? It's one reason why the family, it's, it's not the first reason, but it's one reason why the family remains important, even, you know, in a well-ordered nation where there's enormous chances for citizenship. The family is a domain in which every member of it has enormous authority and close relationships. You see, it's, a, it's an aspect of a fully human life. I am a father, right? My kids are grown. I talk about it all the time. It's important to me. Uh, and and it, it's a place where I have learned and done in a way where my wife and I and our children are the most important people in it. And there's only a few of us. Now my children are grown. The authorities have all shifted. They owe their mother and me the respect of being their parents and they pay it. But also they're like us. And they order us around sometimes. And it's just like when we used to order them around all the time. Sometimes we do it. <laughs> and, uh, see, so the point is all of these opportunities in our lives that are uh, essentially human, they're opportunities for us to grow and develop and become fully human. Aristotle says we're called to that. Now, he also says in a million places that good laws are very important. The end of the ethics rises up to contemplation. We'll be right back with the conclusion of episode six of the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. So everything you want to know about this course. All of the episodes of The Ethics are about 30 minutes to 35 minutes long. So we've done the editing with the help of Kyle, uh, the great, great Kyle, who runs all the video online courses. And there's a plethora of them. Look that up. I think it's a Greek, got a Greek root. There's a plethora of video courses over at hillsdale.edu. And every day, if you start your day with a half hour of a Hillsdale Dialogue or a Hillsdale course, 
Your brain will get working. You'll be better for it. But especially the ethics course. And then I encourage all of you to go to hillsdale.edu and watch it, binge watch it. If you missed an episode, go back. You don't have to watch them all in order. You can watch one and then three or one and every other week. You do whatever you want because that's what Hillsdale made it easy for uh, students uh, uh, of all ages, sizes, and abilities to watch and learn. And this is really quite the introduction to the ethics. This is part six of a ten-part series. It is segment four of that part six, and there's not much more I can add except go to hillsdale.edu. If you found any of this good, the application season is upon us. Time to download that application and get applied. It took 17% of applicants last year, and that's going to go down because more people are applying every single year because it is the lantern of the north, maybe the last greatest hope of American education. Hillsdale.edu. Here is Dr. Larry Arn and his 10 students. I'll make a graph of the path of the ethics. Every action aims at some good. And a bunch of digressions, and then book two, it starts gradually up, and four, it gets pretty high. And then justice steps down a little bit for most of the chapter. And then book six is the intellectual virtues, right? It starts going like this, right? And then friendship, and then contemplation, and pleasure, and friendship. And it gets way up here. It's really great. And then in the last page and a half, zoom! To get there, you need good laws. It points toward the politics of Aristotle, right? But then in the politics of Aristotle, you read, because, you know, the ethics says at the end, you can't have good people without good laws. The politics says over and over, you can't have good laws without good people. You know, today we worry, we, we talk a lot about uh, the culture. Politics is downstream from culture, right? The news is worse than that. They are powerfully affecting of each other. And if they go, both go bad, you got a problem. You know, because then, you know, we're going to try to save the culture. There's laws in the way. Well, as a student of human things including especially political things and ethical things, we have to understand those relationships because one part of our being a fully operational human being, it's like in Star Wars, the fully operational Death Star. <laughs> now you will see the power of this fully operational human being. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, if, uh, um, that includes citizenship. You got to think about that. Part of your part of your human calling to think about that. Let's summarize courage. Having the right disposition towards fear and danger, and um, it involves both the moral element of enduring fear or like a, a frightening situation, and then also the intellectual virtue of judging what the right act is to do in these circumstances. Um, and when both those things are present, it becomes a beautiful act. And we talked about how for Aristotle, um, kind of the paradigm of courage would be dying a beautiful death in war and maybe particularly um, for the sake of one's friends. So courage, pain, and harm. How do you think about those things? Uh, what do you do about those things? That's the subject of courage. And like all the virtues... 
this is primarily or principally both a doing virtue but of course all the virtues are all also thinking virtues and every virtue is a combination of what you want that's a desire and a judgment about how to get it and both have to be excellent for the act to be superior or beautiful Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.